10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea and the Twilight Show tonight, a two-parter. We're joined by Dan Chaplin and Jonathan Parker of St. Matthew's Primary, planning a 950-mile cycle relay around the UK. And in the second half, we're joined by Lucy Green, author of Cleverlands, to talk about the secrets behind the world's education superpowers. Join us, tune in, talk it out. Let's go. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea, welcome to the Twilight Show here on Teachers Talk Radio, uh, where we have a two-parter for you tonight. We are starting off talking about school challenges, charity challenges, staff challenges, um, some really uh, interesting conversations there that we're going to have in a minute, then about uh, quarter to at seven after the news, we're joined by Lucy Crean, the author of Cleverlands, um, Secrets Behind the Success of the World's Educational Superpowers. She went around, visited uh, some of the countries that are seen as kind of educational superpowers, and uh, she then sort of um, looked at what made it work. So we'll be talking about that. We'll also talk a little about what that applies to me here in Curriculum for Wales, being based in Wales in a curriculum overhaul at the moment. Um, now, I should be currently joined by Dan. I think you're with us. Are you there? Dan I am here yes Dan and I can see uh Jonathan Parker in the studio there is he coming on on air with us is he going to click call in or is he lurking at the moment <laughs> he is going to be joining us yes if you can hear us Jonathan you just click that call in button we'll put you through and you can join us uh, live on air oh I think I can see there uh, I've clicked it, so you should be able to join us. He'll be coming in a second. So welcome back, Dan. We have had you on before. So welcome back to Teachers Talk Radio. And uh, welcome, Jonathan, for the first time. Can you hear us? Yes, I can. And hello. Hello and welcome. Right. So, um, I, you know, I squeezed a little bit of this into the introduction. But you guys are planning a kind of... A, uh, a challenge is what I was saying. I'll let you maybe do a bit of an introduction about what this challenge is in particular. Okay, I'll, I'll go first then. So this challenge is a bike ride, primarily for a group of teachers. We work in Luton at a primary school, St. Matthew's in Luton. We'll be leaving St. Matthew's at about 10 a.m. on Thursday morning. This is uh, before October half term, so we've got a few months, and cycling to London. And then we will be heading over towards Cardiff. From that point, we'll be heading north up to Edinburgh before we come all the way back down again to finish in Luton. So we normally get the eyebrows raised when we say Cardiff to Edinburgh. That's the bit that catches people. Um, mm. But the, the sort of twist is we're a team of cyclists. We're going to do it as a relay. So we'll spend two hours cycling for every four hours resting, which I think makes it sound easier, but I'm not quite sure if it's going to be. 
Yeah, I mean, I wanted to ask you guys, you know, I've, I've watched, uh, you know, I, I shared a tweet out with a link to the uh, the kind of um, the, the, pa- the, the St. Matthew's Primary page explaining it. And um, it's not the only challenge that you've ever done. You've done challenges before, but this seems to be the biggest by far that you guys are doing. Was that deliberate? Yeah, I mean, I'll take this one. I think every time you do a challenge, you always want to up the level of it next time. But our key thing has always been we wanted to get more of the community involved. So with this one, whilst the bike ride is happening um, and six people are being challenged in that way, we're also uh, planning on having a massive event on the Sunday where we've got 400 positions for the community to get involved in either a big hike, uh, 30K, uh, 15K trek, or a family 5K walk. Um, So we're trying to make sure that we're including the children and the families as well. And that's another bit that I wanted to ask. I'll ask about that in a second, actually, because I, I want to just touch on on, on first, because I want to know about, like, the, it sounds like this is a school community thing. I wanted just to touch on, though, on the, on the people doing this, because, as I say, you know, I've chatted with Dan uh, before. I know that he, you know, is a, a fit individual, but, I mean in the nicest possible way jonathan you know this isn't elite athletes doing this this is normal teachers right yeah i am definitely not an elite athlete in any way um i took up cycling about six years ago i think when we first rode from luton to brighton um and that was the first time i've been on a bike since i was a teenager um so my cycling at the moment is i do about an hour a day um before training for this event, it was probably a couple of hours a week. Um, so my fitness levels are nowhere near the same as Dan's. Um, and I've just got to do all I can to get myself prepared for it. So this is a, a real challenge people can get behind. And of course, it is for charity. It's raising money for... Young Lives vs. Cancer. Like, you know, so a really worthy cause. Um, at 950 miles, I'm, I'm going to keep dropping that in because you guys keep saying that cycle ride like it's, you know, a Sunday <laughs> stroll. 950 miles um, visiting three of the UK's capital cities, all the ones that are all on this part of the land. Um, so, you know, this is a big, big thing. But I, why is it important to you as a school? Because this is bigger than just the, the money for the charity. This is something bigger right yeah definitely i think everything that we do we try and tie in with the community with the pupils and with the staff and with well-being and challenge setting in mind being ambitious being a risk taker and showing that the showing the pupils that it's not just the children that we are challenging day to day it's the staff as well as setting themselves challenges that they're aiming for that they're going to have to work hard and the children are going to see that as well they're going to see us cycling into work every day and leaving on our bikes and, and we're going to share that journey with them and the community all the way through and hopefully that will kind of really bring everybody together and use it as a real I suppose team building exercise rather than just the six people like John said over 400 people plus our school community of nearly a thousand Okay, so we've kind of set the scene a little bit. We know what you're doing. We kind of have a little idea why. And I think what people will be really interested in is how that, you know, you've mentioned people coming into school on on, on their bikes and them seeing them. How, you know, specifically how is 
how is it manifesting in school? How is this part of, you know, I don't want to say the word curriculum, but it kind of is. How is how is this uh, part of school life and what, what will the kids be seeing? Are they, you know, are they is it t- teachers rocking up in Lycra every day? Are you doing fitness stuff in class or is it more in how you talk about things? John, do you want to take this one? Yeah, I mean... On the uh, day of the launch, uh, it's always um, an event that gets children involved in it and they have a say in things like designing the logos um, and coming up with any mantras and things that we have. Um, This year, our plan is to get them to come up with a song for the event. Nice. Something that will always bring it, always remind us of the event, uh, which is a great thing to have. Um, And then throughout the year, we'll have lots of fundraising days building up towards the event. Um, and then on the actual day of the event, we link all of the curriculum into the event. So one of our last events was cycling from York to Barton the Clay, which is a small village uh, near Luton, and then meeting 100 staff and walking back from that village, uh, the 10K route back to Luton. And the learning that took place that day was looking at the counties in England that we'd be going through. Um, talking about the distance, look, comparing it in different ways um, and just working lots of different parts of education into that type of thing, plus the actual PE aspect of looking at how far we're going and getting children running, getting children active, linking them into bike-to-school days to get them involved in the event as much as possible. Um, and so... We've got all of that sort of groundswell behind us. I imagine the, the the parents are, you know, are proud and supportive of this as well. The children are doing their bit and coming together. They, it feels like you're going to have a real kind of groundswell of a, of a team behind you. But tell me about those those specific individuals. So in the actual cyclist, we've got you two gentlemen and, and who are the other ones? Introduce me to the squad. Okay, so the team is uh, six people. So it's myself and John. And then we have Jason Horton, who is a member of our PE team. Uh, Liam Rowlands, who is a class teacher at the school. Then we have Rob Impey, who is actually a past teacher. He's been involved in our challenges before. So that's going to be really nice for the children to be able to see, re-see him again because they haven't seen him in a long time. And also our head teacher's husband, uh, Andy Such. Fantastic. I think I can see him listening in the studio. We, for those listening back as a podcast, uh, you know, and if you are listening live, you can text us in, text, throw those questions into us, let us know. We are live. But for those listening back as a podcast, I can see names popping up. So I can see a big shout out to Andy Such there in the studio listening. Um, so um, we have all of our different team members. And I imagine then, you know, I've kind of touched on it before, different levelings of uh fitness i'm going to say that in in the politest way are you training together is it individual training plans how how is that working so in terms of our training like you say we are all coming from different fitness backgrounds i think nearly apart from andy every one of us has done a challenge together before and andy is coming from a bit of a cycling background and is able to help us bring in that wider community aspect rather than just us directly in the school we've devised a a training plan i've taken from ross edgley who, you, as you may know, he swam around Great Britain a few years ago. Um, we're kind of using his philosophy and the way that we're building our training. So every two or three months, the training will up. So it goes from very much a low-level training, just being consistent, trying to get out once or twice a week and build cycling into everyone's habits. And then a few months on, that will increase and the intensity of the training will increase. And 
in terms of keeping us motivated every half term or school holiday we've got a team ride and each of those team rides has a specific outcome so we're meeting on sunday for our first ride and that's just everyone to get together get a short ride and really let everyone have a real talk and discussion about it and then as we go on the challenge the uh, training days will get tougher okay right um Dan, I'm going to leave you for a second because I want to talk to, you know, like I, I, I am stereotyping you slightly, but I know that, you know, I feel that, you know, it, uh, you would probably be less intimidated by this challenge. So I'm going to ask Jonathan first uh, and we'll see how worried he is about like whether, you know, whether you were going to make it to this. I've, I set out in a tweet earlier this week, we have hit the month now, the, within the first month of January, uh, most people, 60 plus, 60 plus percent, give up their New Year's resolutions of being, keeping fit. Mine has certainly waned off towards the end of, the, you know, into February. Um, you are starting training now, Jonathan. How confident are you that you're going to be able to actually achieve this? Um, I, I, I'm not going to lie. It is scary. Uh, it is a long distance. And if you've seen the launch video, uh, there's a bit on it where we draw a line from Cardiff up to Edinburgh. And I, I think it was the last bit where you just go around the, the Lake District where it causes a lot of scaremongering. Um, but to me, if I've got a long-term goal, um, I know I've got to work towards it. And I think having the team aspect and knowing what you're doing it for, it does inspire me. Uh, some of the events we've done before, I'd never thought I'd get there. Um, I mean, originally when uh, Dan pitched to me cycling from Luton to Brighton, he said it was uh, going to be a 60, 70 mile ride. And I, I was scared by that. It ended up being 90 because we got lost quite a lot. Um, and I thought to myself, if I can do that, then there's a chance that there are things that I can do beyond that. Um, so it is going to be a challenge. It is going to be a massive team thing. I think We've already got ourselves a WhatsApp group and we are texting on that all the time, checking in with each other. And the the team rides are always something that give you a focus and you want to go there and you don't want to let anyone down. So it does motivate you. Um, I've got to admit, as it gets towards the summer, it'll hopefully become a bit easier. Um, currently, I'm getting up at five in the morning to go on a ride um, and it is a bit dark. It is a bit cold. Uh, so I'm looking forward to the spring. Yeah, I mean, that that was going to be one of my other questions. So, Dan, I'll throw that over to you. This is surely a terrible time to start training. Like, it's miserable. Everyone's kind of just got over their New Year's resolutions and given those up. Um, you know, we it, it's still dark when we go to work. It's dark when we get home. Um, how how are, How is anyone, I'll, I'll broaden this out for our listeners, how is anyone supposed to stay motivated at this at this time of year? It is a really good question. I think it's about building things around your lifestyle. So for me, I cycle to work every day. That's just something that I do because it works for me and with my family life. And I know that if I want to ride my bike, then I have to do it that way. I have to build it into my commute. And for other people, it might be that actually they go out for a walk at lunchtime. I think it's really important to realize for everyone or anyone listening that you don't have to plan a 950 mile bike ride to stay motivated you know it's what's right for you and what works for you in in the time that you are in just because if you're just starting getting active then you might be doing couch to 5k for someone who's already done some big challenges and they might be looking to take the next step so it is about staying motivated and finding small small wins and small gains that you can work towards that aren't 
you know, you're not climbing the whole mountain in one go. Yeah, for sure. Uh, you know, and the, well, this is a big mountain. Andy Such has texted in just saying, uh, it's going to be fun, scary, mixed with tiredness, but worth it. Um, I sure it's will. On that note, and, you know, I'm thinking back to my, you know, I no longer teach primary, but I was in primary and where you talked about the kind of curriculum element. And I have seen the launch video when you draw those lines. And I was thinking as I watched it, you know, I wonder... You know, I, I am slightly jealous about being able to go to some of those places because, you know, I wonder, it, is there a bit that you are thinking this is going to be, a, you know, a really lovely stretch to do? I know that kind of uh, borders up, um, maybe uh, I imagine you're heading up, up through like Bilf Wells up that way when you go from Cardiff, up up, up sort of through the, the kind of uh, borders um, along as you head up towards Chester and Birmingham up that way. Correct. That bit I know is a beautiful part of the country. But Jonathan, have you looked that closely at the map? Is there a bit where you're kind of going, actually, this is going to be nice cycling? Um, we, we haven't studied it in too much detail. Um, I think we have identified that on the way back. On I think it's probably the big halfway through day three. Um, it becomes a bit flatter. And I'm not going to lie, that is the bit I'm looking forward to where... Yeah. You know you haven't got too many climbs, um, and hopefully the wind will be behind us, and it will keep us going at a nice steady pace by that point, because um, I think we'll be quite tired by then. Yeah, for those who are not geography orientated, that bit coming back down from Scotland isn't all downhill. That's still this, <laughs> you know, it's not cycle up the country and then we coast back down the country. Um, you do manage to avoid the Pennines, I think, though, and you know, and you you manage to avoid some of the mountain ranges. But certainly, if you're heading up north of Cardiff, there, there, there's there's some hills and valleys there. Dan, have you got any sort of bits that you're excited about getting to? Maybe anywhere you haven't visited before, you're looking forward to. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I'm just looking forward to the whole thing. For me, I'm so motivated by these challenges and being able to explore the country and cycle some of these routes. It's going to be it's going to be a once in a lifetime experience. And also being able to create some bonds with people that maybe some of the people in our team we haven't met before, because it's worth mentioning that our team is going to be about 15 people strong. We're going to have three support vehicles made up of community members family members who are going to help us get through this it's not just going to be the six of us uh, i think i'm looking looking forward to the memories after it definitely um I, i'm going to ask you as well you know for people who might be listening in and might be thinking of doing a challenge i know i've mentioned um before i i you know i did a marathon run as a charity event for a school i was at um you, you've had to persuade someone i imagine that this was a good idea? Maybe like the head teacher, did you have to sit in a meeting? Was it all get together and brainstorm or were they fully involved from the start? Was there any kind of pushback against this? Luckily, our head teacher knows what John and I are like. And she trusts that if we come to her with an idea that we've put the thought in, <laughs> in the first place. And I think sometimes she just sort of thinks, not again, <laughs> but... Yeah. It's, but luckily, because we have done these events in the past, we know what we're, we're not biting off more than we think we can chew, hopefully, with this one. So it didn't take too much convincing. We did adapt our plan. Originally, we wanted to cycle from John O'Groats to Land's End, but, which is actually a similar distance. But we realized that we were a bit too far drawn from the school. We would have had two extra days of traveling. We wouldn't have been able to start and finish at the school, and we would have lost that community aspect. So within about two or three weeks of our original plan that was when we shifted to this one um 
and you know I, I don't want to presume but family members how 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 have they taken to this as an idea Jonathan you know do people around you maybe who aren't in the school I guess even in the school are people looking at you a bit differently um I, I think in the school everyone is still quite amazed by what we're uh, aiming to do um they they're used to us coming up with these ideas, um, but yeah, it's a bit of a shock for them. In regards to family, um, I've got two little ones at home. Um, it's asking for that forgiveness for coming up with the idea um, and potentially saying I'm away for four days and then I will probably be very tired for a few days after it um, and asking my wife to take on looking after the children for all that time. But again, she looks at it as though it's something that will be a great achievement for me and something to be very proud of. So she's supportive of us doing it. Uh, she does think we're crazy, but a lot of people I, do. I, I kind <laughs> of agree. I kind of agree in a little way there. I think, you know, this is what's interesting, you know, as I say, in the launch video, you do a really good job of talking through how this is built and how this is built. And and now you guys are in a, probably a, a, a bit further forward maybe than some other teachers out there who, who may be thinking of doing this. I'm not putting anyone off, but I would say starting with a 950-mile cycle relay, is prob- you probably wouldn't advise that as a place to start, um, Dan. Where would people, you know, if they were starting to think, hey, we could move towards this or we want to show our children that there can be challenge or we want to start... I don't know, showing them what's possible for these things. Where, where could staff start? I think, oh, first thing is, look at who you've already got in school that's taken on challenges, because you're always going to find your runners who are doing a run, or they might be running the London Marathon, and really highlighting their successes and their journeys to the children in the first instance. Sometimes it's not even about putting something on. You might actually have people that are already champion that um, already. And then in terms of getting more people involved, we started with a 5K. Um, in our local park after school one day we had 30 or 40 staff members take part children came and watched with their families and and that was a really good start and that seemed like such a long time ago and it's such a big journey we've taken since then but we still raised over seven or eight thousand pounds through this I'm sure it was around that but um, through what was seemingly quite a small challenge but at the time it was a really big thing for us to plan and the other option you have is signing on to something that's already taken place so you've got the London Marathon Events Company, for example, you can get community spots in their half marathons and their 10Ks for £10. So you could take 10, five teachers to London and go and do go and do a 10K, which is costing them no- basically nothing. And they're not having to do any planning yet. They can share the journey and the experiences with the children. And I really, I don't know, I just really love this attitude, this this approach that you guys have about the fact that it's, it's not just necessarily about the money and that, you know, the money is important and will certainly help charities and they, they need all the help they can get, you know, in, to help people. Um, but you are some, you are somehow in the way you're framing it, it seems to be making more than just the money. Um, how important is that to you, Jonathan? I, I think for me, it's, the, the money is great and supporting charities and uh, part of why we're, we're doing it is because of st- stories linked to the school that we want to support the charity. But I think just showing the children about how you can set yourself this challenge and do it and hopefully leaving a l- long lasting memory that they can set challenges all the time and changing staff well-being and giving them chance to explore 
new sports, new opportunities that they could then carry on and make them feel better about everything is something that's so important to us as as a school um, that I think we will continue trying to do it all the time. Uh, you know, as I say, you know, I find it really um, in, interesting and inspiring those uh parts of it um now i have mentioned you know a few of these challenges that have come before so can you give us uh, give us just a quick rundown of that those kind of stepping stones that you've done so a, a while ago you started with your first one maybe that was this 5k how did it build each sort of year or couple of years one of the, the first big one we did was with a local charity which who were organizing the three peaks challenge they cycle uh, sorry they climbed ben nevis scarfield pike and snowden within 24 hours and it was me and my PE team at the time who went and did that and that was the first thing we ever did and that was what really got the ball rolling realizing that this was something that we could we could do more of uh, we followed that up with the 5k and then we supported the same charity again with the Luton to Brighton bike ride which was on a day and we, st- we were able to start it at the school and all the children were out lined the streets sending us all off which was really really nice and they had a lot of work uh, around that day and we were linked up with um, Professor Greg White, who's actually the person who helps all the sports relief challenges. And he came in mm-hmm. and did a motivational speech, which was fantastic. And then we had our York to Luton bike ride, which was 180 odd miles, which the six of us did. And that tied in with this community 10K. So they're all of our big ones. But it's even things like Captain Tom 100. We had each class do 100 laps and all the teachers were involved. And it was a real fun sort of festival atmosphere all day at the school. And it doesn't have to be something big. It's these in-house activities that you're doing where the children are active alongside the teachers that I think have the biggest impact. And um, as far as, you know, so we've talked a bit about the, the PE element, but I know, uh, Jonathan, you mentioned some of the, the, the other elements, the kind of the song elements as well. You know, they're, they're going to be creating a badge. They're going to be creating a song. Um, all of these parts at time you're, you're building um, some learning time around this so you're really squeezing everything you can get out of this yeah I mean we want the children to be involved in it as much as possible we we've tried we cut Dan and I when we sit in the office we come up with so many ideas we were thinking on the lines of giving each class money and saying right here's 10 pounds make it into as much as you can to go into the charity pot um, so that it can be tied into so much learning that they continually do so everything every decision we make it always comes back to how can we help with learning? How can this help support the children academically as well as in every other way? Um, I, you know, when I look at it, I think, you know, I, I, year four really was, kind of, you know, sort of kind of my favourite year group, but I'm thinking, you know, we've got geography stuff here, capital cities, cities in the UK, navigating around. You've got so much to, uh, to, to, to squeeze out of this to look at, even the map work, the planning, the routes, the measuring. Um, it's a really nice opportunity, it feels like. Yeah, I mean, as soon as you start dipping into the national curriculum and seeing what bits we can tick off just by this event, um, it will be a phenomenal piece of work and we will be able to fill the Thursday and Friday for every year group um, so that they are continually learning and linking it back to the event, which is great. Fantastic. Right now, I, you know, I did say I wanted to get some advice from Dan, just, you know, as a, as a 
a, a person who I, I look up to as someone who I, you know, this might not be true, but I, you know, I imagine that you are motivated and trained all of the time. And I say, you know, we've talked a little bit about staying motivated, getting out. Myself, it's it's running. I'm not a big fan of cycling. I, I will put that out there. But running, I do enjoy, but completely lacking in motivation. And it might be that there are other listeners here also thinking, 950 miles, a bit far. I'm struggling to get off my sofa. <laughs> What can we do? February is the blues. You know, what should I be doing? I think um, it's finding little things. So it might be that you put your running shoes out the night before you go to bed. You might, uh, you meet up with a friend. You're less likely to cancel if you know you're going to be letting someone else down too. You go for a run straight after work before you've left school so that you drive home and you're done. You build it into your commute, as I've said. I think I'm the biggest advocate for that. I love my commute every day, um, in and out of my bike. And um, Or it might just be going for a walk, taking the family out with you, walking the dog, but not everything needs to be huge. And I think if you can build it into your day, then it becomes a lot easier. Um, there's, there's so many little things you can do. You know, when you wake up in the morning, leave your alarm on the other side of the room so you physically have to get out of bed. And by that time you're up, you might as well go and do your exercise that you planned. I, I I like I, do you know what of those the putting the shoes out in the front I think actually that one made me smile and that one would work the the putting my phone on the other side of the room would just annoy me like I think if I wanted to do some boxing maybe or if I wanted to see how far I could launch my phone maybe uh, but there we go um, we've had a text in there from one of our listeners Nikki who says really inspiring love the sense of support for each other and the positive impact for the school community and beyond uh, clapping hands emoji so some lovely support I think people are impressed you know it is slightly ironic Dan that you led with start with something small when we're talking about a 950 mile <laughs> cycle relay but as we've talked this has been a, a kind of thing that is building at your school and building um you know uh, when do you start thinking about the next thing i know this is you know we've got what four or five my months are terrible like five months six months until this maybe well, seven is it eight months seven or eight months, is it yes. eight months um when did you start thinking of this when do you start thinking about the next one we started the planning for this original idea i think was in october we knew we had a year because uh, I actually remember saying to John, oh, it's exactly a year that we'll be going. Um, but to be honest, on our, we have about three or four whiteboards in our office and they're filled, like there's a little corner and it's got all the potential ideas. We want to do something with swimming um, because I feel that that will reach a completely different group of people. And something we really want to do is link up with more schools. And one of our original plans with this is we wanted to have multiple teams from multiple schools. Seems that not everyone is as mad as us when it comes to um, going out riding. But we have a way that we want more people to get involved in this. And that is, we know that there's lots of teachers who cycle across the country. So we are gonna be asking as many teacher cyclists as possible to join us along the route, which would be a massive motivator for us to hopefully meet 30 or 40 other teachers who ride. Um, and they can join us for as long or as little as they want. We hope that their school might do a little bit of fundraising as well to help us along the way, but we hope it will really spread the message of what we're doing. I love that. That is amazing. And how are you going to get that? If people are listening now or listening back in the future, are you, you know, is it going to be coming out through the school Twitter account? Are you going to be kind of launching it? I know the school website has quite a lot of information. Yeah, so it will be on Twitter. Um, also on the webpage that you shared, there is a, a document there that you can register your interest. 
So we will take that and get back in touch with you. And we're also going to be working with Teacher Peloton, which is a group on social media, which is Teachers Who Cycle, and through the Teachers Run Club to reach those people who already are cyclists who, who may feel that they want to come and join us for a bit. Oh, and you know, and certainly, unfortunately, you don't reach quite as far. You know, you cut short. You're about sixty miles short of reaching me here in Swansea, getting over to Cardiff. But certainly, you know, I'll have to have a look at what time it is and see if I can't come down. I'm not cycling. Um, I'll just put that out there right now. <laughs> not cycling, but I may be able to come down and just cheer and chant because I'm sure people will, you know, want to be out there. Um, you, you have reg- like booked hotels, booked stops. You know where all of that is, or are we still at concept stage? stops this is uh this is a rolling challenge rolling we're not going to be stopping we'll be sleeping on the bus wow i i can't even um oh i can't even comprehend it guys well my as i say my hat's off to you um dan i just expect this from you at the you know now this is you know this is just dan but jonathan you've got dragged into some kind of madness here i, I think poor school choice maybe I, d- I don't know how have you ended up in this place Generally, I would just say it's from sharing an office with him. Um, and I think the problem is we sort of we, we bounce off each other and the ideas get bigger and bigger. And maybe the head teacher needs to think about moving us from being in the same office. Yeah. Um, so if the head teacher is listening, please, just for their safety, for the sake of us all, these challenges, you know, before it turns into Everest or, or whatever is next in the pipeline, which I'm sure you would do, um, let's support this one. Do you want to give a couple of quick plugs to where people can find information about it? Yeah. If you um, head to Active St. Matt's on Twitter, you'll be able to get all the information there or on the internet. It's uh, St. Matthew's Luton com is our website where you'll find all the information that you need and um and yeah or, and that's got the, the details for our just given page as well so we're hoping to raise a nice amount of money through this fantastic well thank you both so much for coming on andy such there has already texted in just saying i think europe might be fun <laughs> um yep so you know I'm, I'm, you will have enough time on the bus and in the saddle andy to you know talk this through as as you are cycling all the way up the country to Edinburgh uh, and around and back down. Um, Thank you guys so much. Um, Listeners, we are going to go to the ad break um, and the news in a second. But um, that, yeah, um, I don't know what to say. I'm so, like, I love this kind of stuff. But what I love most is the idea that it's tied into the community, not bolt on. Um, So thank you, Jonathan. Thank you very much. Thank you. And Dan, lovely to talk to you again. Thank you for having me. Yep, and share those tweets with us as well, because, yeah, I'm going to be really excited to see how this pans out for you. Uh, even if I can't, uh, I'm in injury or something, excuse, um, I can't quite make it myself, <laughs> but, you know, I will be cheering you on for sure. Thanks a lot, guys. Uh, listeners, tweet us in your messages, text them in. We will see you on the other side of the news. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. 
ArtLearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-Levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use ArtLearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with ArtLearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn, U-P-L-E-A-R-N dot co dot UK. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. This is Teachers Talk Radio and this is Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. In Scotland, the Scottish Liberal Democrats have lodged 25 questions to the Scottish Government about plans to tackle ventilation in schools. One question asks about the health and safety impacts of the plans to chop the bottom of classroom doors off. Willie Rennie, the Liberal Democrat education spokesperson said, this has been a torrid week for the Scottish Government. Its plans to improve ventilation in schools have been exposed as totally lacking in scale and detail. It is now two years since the virus arrived in Scotland. The lack of action on the part of the Scottish Government to drive ventilation improvements nationwide is leaving pupils and teachers shivering. The Scottish Government said it had provided councils with £10 million for ventilation and carbon dioxide monitoring, as well as the £5 million recently added. In England, teachers have warned that the release of advance information on exam subjects for GCSEs and A-levels to mitigate the impact of the pandemic comes too late and may not be enough. Exam boards have said previously that they would release the advanced information now rather than earlier in the academic year so that pupils did not cover a narrow curriculum. Mary Bowsted, National Education Union Joint General Secretary said, 
there are grave concerns among teachers of exam groups that this will not be enough to fairly mitigate the disruption these students have experienced over two academic years. There is just one half term left until Easter, close to when exams begin, and little time to rush through any content. Education Secretary Nadim Zahawi said that exams are the best and fairest form of assessment and that the information published will make sure students can do themselves justice. This has been your latest Teachers Talk Radio News with Gail Glenn. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, it's Safe Internet Week with the official day being on Tuesday the 8th of February. This year, the UK Safer Internet Centre is questioning whether gaming online is all fun and games. They ask young people to explore respect and relationships in online gaming. A lot of schools may be having drop down days and you may be expected to deliver an online safety lesson. This is great, but are you confident in your knowledge? There's nothing worse than having to teach a lesson out of your comfort zone, especially when you're discussing a topic where the learners may know more than the teacher. Saferinternet.org.uk, the brains behind Safer Internet Day, have come to the rescue with a series of films under the heading of virtual assemblies on their website. Starting with a story about in-app purchases getting out of hand for three to seven year olds, and then for seven to 11 and 11 to 18s, having a discussion on online behavior and respect. This resource is informative and will allow those of us that are less confident to play the film and facilitate a discussion. As always, if you're going to use an online resource, make sure you've watched it first to make sure it's appropriate for your pupils. For a visual version of this episode, check out the TT Radio 2022 Twitter feed. I'm Steve Woods, and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Welcome to Swansea. I'm hoping that I'm joined here by Lucy Crean. Is it you, Lucy? It is me. Hello. Hello. You're coming through loud and clear and perfectly on time for the end of the news there. Thank you so much. Uh, Welcome to Teachers Talk Radio. Thank you very much. Very pleased Um, to be here. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, no. You know, and uh, a I will say a popular choice. When I said that you were coming on, lots of people were excited um, to hear some of the things you have to say. And I know hopefully at the end we'll get to talk a little bit about Curriculum for Wales because I'm based in Wales. But we're talking kind of about a lot of things uh, across, um, well, across the world, across, you know, um, Mm. because we're talking about world educational systems here. But before we get started, can you tell us uh, just a little bit about yourself and what you do? Set the scene for our listeners. Sure. Um, so 
I am Lucy Crahan, and I am an education consultant. Sometimes, depending on the context, describe myself as an international education explorer. So I think that rather accurately sums up what I do. So I do um, research, uh, qualitative research into international education systems. I write reports. Uh, I give talks at conferences. Um, and I work with various different NGOs and sometimes governments on educational programs and, and rolling those out. Okay, but what that's not you started off let's talk about that you know where you're coming from because sometimes you know I don't want to pitch it wrong you know I sometimes people can you know question educational consultants what was mm. your background before this I, I was a teacher so I I began my career in teaching um teaching science and psychology at a comprehensive in southwest London um and I'll should I just run, run with, with with what happened next? Well, Nathan, yeah, if... you know, so you were you were you were there <laughs> as a teacher teaching, and then somehow you decided that you were going <laughs> to travel around all these places that people always talk about, and they are they're things that anyone in education will be familiar with. Places that always get thrown up as, oh, you know, this place is topping Pisa, or this place is the place to be like, and and you just decided to go on an on a tour and see if it was true well it was it was partly driven by a, a bit of disillusionment to be honest with the education system in england at the time um so this was back in um 2012 when i decided to go on my journey so i've been teaching for three years and just becoming increasingly frustrated um with the education system or, or the what that looked like in in my school anyway um i i was teaching in a an area with quite a, a kind of challenging, um, some of the children had some quite challenging backgrounds. And that was a deliberate decision to teach in an area like that, because my motivations for for working in education are, are around social justice. Um, and I just, I just got frustrated, I suppose, because I felt so much of what I was trying to do and my colleagues were trying to do um, was stymied by the system rather than supported by the system. Um, and so much of the work we were doing, which willingly so, but was not actually helping our students and was to tick boxes or to impress Ofsted. Um, and this was all with the backdrop of, of the education secretary at the time, who was Michael Gove, kept talking about these high-performing education systems and we're strengthening the league tables because that's what they're doing in high-performing systems. And I just couldn't understand how it could be working anywhere, <laughs> you know, to actually be achieving high results elsewhere when it, it's, it's so clearly that that particular element of the English system wasn't working. Um, in, in my context and in the context of, of many of my my friends who were also teachers in different schools. So, so yes, driven by that, I became very interested in what these education systems were doing elsewhere. And I, I went to do a master's in education policy and read a bit about them. And then I just felt I didn't, oh, incidentally, I should just quickly say that when I read, having read a bit more about them and, and um, focused my dissertation on accountability, it's not true that they do what England do in terms of high stakes accountability. It's just, it's just simply not true. We can come back to that later if you like. Um, but I was, I was kind of hooked by what they were doing. So they're not doing this really high stakes accountability work teachers into the ground mode. Um, I wanted to know what they were doing, but you can't really figure that out. I don't think in any meaningful way, just from looking at the data and, and reading other people's um, academic papers that, you know, they tend to naturally, because academic papers need to focus, focus on, um, you know, one specific policy um, or in one or two maybe countries. And I wanted to know what it looked like with all of those policies working together in an actual cult cultural context, you know, what it looked like to 
uh, to students and uh, to teachers. Yeah. And so this all came together in you know the the book Cleverlands that I've I've mentioned. Um, I've got it next to me, and you've already said qualitative. And I, you know I was going to ask you, you feasibly someone interested in this could do a very kind of quantitative data kind of meta analysis of you know all of those words that we keep you know but you wanted to get in there and be mm. with teachers and you know really feeling it what was 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 that you know why what was that deliberate drive <laughs> that you felt that you had to get actually get in there and live with people and understand it oh, I think partly because I'm, I'm I draw a lot on on quantitative data in, in my work in, in both my book and, and since um I don't I lack the skills to actually do the the, the quantitative number crunching myself but I think I think it offers part of a picture it kind of gives you some clues as to what might be happening somewhere but that's what it does you know it can show you that oh this correlates with that but not why um and and so there's, there's that element in terms of wanting to figure out right why does this appear to lead to success um or and, and what does it actually look like in different contexts but there's also a question of who cares you know is it is actually performing highly in piece of something that we want um what does what does that what does that look like in a classroom? How is that reflected? Would I want to send my own kids to school in Singapore, for example? Or actually is the, the, the pursuit of, of high schools in a very, fairly narrow domain um, problematic for other areas of, of children's lives? So those are the kind of questions that you can't really answer just by looking at the quantitative data. And uh, you, you kind of mentioned um, uh, Singapore there. Um, what were the countries that you chose to go to? And, and how did you decide? Mm. So the countries were Finland, uh, two of the provinces in Canada, because Canada is, uh, the education is run provincially, um, Singapore, Japan, and Shanghai, China. Um, and it was Shanghai, China, because China, somewhat controversially, doesn't enter as a country. I mean, it is massive, to be fair. Um, they enter regions, which are all bigger <laughs> than, than many countries. Um, but the reason I chose those ones, um, so at the time, I had to look at the the highest performing systems um, across all three subjects based on the most recent PISA round. And I didn't just select the top five. Um, to be honest, I actually originally intended to go to eight. Um, but on like, have, having done the first two, I realized that understanding an education system is like a huge mental task and would have been exhausting to do eight, let alone um, me actually managing to fund it. So I ended up with five. But I didn't, I didn't choose to go to the top five because that would have included mainly East Asian countries and I didn't think that would kind of be the most interesting journey in terms of my understanding I wanted to see what success looked like in some very different cultural contexts so I chose Finland because at the time and to, to be honest despite its decline it's still um, first or second in the world in Europe and um, the highest one of the highest performing in Europe um, and I chose Canada because even though they, they weren't quite so high performing tend to come around 10th or 12th depending obviously on the year and on the subject um, it, they were in some ways quite a similar culture to the UK, relatively speaking. Obviously, there are huge differences, but compared to Shanghai, for example. Um, Shanghai and Singapore were number one and number two at the time, and I think Japan was number four or five. Um, and when looking at those countries, and I don't want to, you know, spoil it for anyone, but any, you know, if there is anyone high, high up in the DFE hoping that they can pick up your book and just transplant some things from mm -hmm. those countries into you know or potentially here in wales where we are looking you know as i say we're looking at a massive kind of 
curriculum overhaul, even at the moment trialing different term dates. Even at the moment, I've filled in the questionnaire asking about yeah different term dates and schools are trialing different um, start and finish times. Um, mm. the, is it as simple as just we just take something the finish are doing and do it here? No, 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 absolutely not. And that that is a mistake. Um, to, to be fair, like I, I don't know whether it's a mistake often made by politicians. It's a mistake often made by journalists um, mm. <laughs> in terms of the very kind of straightforward headline grabby, Finland's getting rid of subjects, we should do the same. Um, and in fact, Finland are not getting rid of subjects and it's all, I'll, I'll be polite because we're on the radio. Um, nonsense. <laughs> um but no, it's absolutely not that simple. It's it's hugely complex. And one of the reasons that I wanted to go and have a look at, at, at lots of different policies interacting in a context is because you can't take a single policy or program um, in isolation. You've got to look at how it interacts with all the other parts of the system and, and how that relates to the cultural context as well. Because there's certain features of, of Singapore, for example, in terms of it being a, a fairly hierarchical society, lots of respect for authority, that means you can do things around teacher career structures there in a way that just might require a bit of tweaking if you were to, um, or rethinking entirely, if you were to t- take that into a different context. Um, <clears throat> yeah, so, not to mention the fact that, you know, so there's there's research suggesting that one of the most important things about high-performing systems in terms of expanding their success is policy coherence. So in other words, all the policy actually policies are pulling in the same direction and they make sense with each other. And if you were to just take one program or policy from another country and transplant it into a different context, then that's just not going to be the case. They're not going to be aligned. Um, And the other thing that I wanted to ask you about, and this maybe is just my experience as a teacher, maybe it's the time that I've joined the profession and, and moved through it, but I feel like I have constantly been in a state of flux in education. And maybe that's because I've moved back and forth between uh, Wales and England, uh, where there are people forget, you know, they are organised differently. Education within different parts is a devolved matter for Scotland, um, for uh, Wales, for Northern Ireland. Um, So I've felt those changes. I also was around at the time of the 2014 curriculum uh, change that we had in England in primary particularly. uh, And it Mm. wasn't until maybe two or three years after that that we actually started getting some real guidance from some of the Ofsted reports coming through that we knew what we were expected to do. So that felt like a whole nother change again of curriculum. So I'd say Mm. in my within a span of less than 10 years, I've written, I've spent a significant amount of time as a school leader rewriting curriculums and planning documents and things is change part of education or is are we, have I had just a really bad experience of it mm. so I haven't got hard data on this Nathan but I can yeah. tell you what I kind of perceive from being a teacher in, in the classroom in, in England and and from what I've seen in, in the different systems that I went to it does certainly feel like there are more initiatives um, happening on a more regular basis in England. I can't speak for Wales. I've not. I've not been here long enough. Um, and especially around curriculum. Um, so the various countries that I went to, they do. You know, everyone reviews their curricula, but but they're reviewed. You know, but subject by subject. Maybe in Singapore, for example, it might be every ten years they review the history curriculum. Um, and it's and everyone knows it's coming. It's kind of very d- deliberately, carefully thought through. Um, more slowly implemented <laughs> um i think something that sometimes bad policy making um is when it doesn't respect teachers time and actually the amount of workload involved in in those changes that the the, the policies that kind of expect teachers to just 
pick it up and carry on. Um, and actually, every change requires a huge amount of work, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. Certainly. And I know, you know, certainly my, my primary uh, colleagues who I know here in Wales at the moment with the Curriculum for Wales in a pandemic or at the end of a pandemic have certainly felt that maybe the timing of that hasn't been ideal for them to really get some of that work done underway. Um, mm-hmm. And, and you know, a lot of thought has to go into a lot of things. Um, on that note, and I know you've mentioned that you're now in South Wales, um, mm-hmm. sunny South Wales. Um <laughs> Are you enjoying the rain here? It, it, I love the... Swansea. I absolutely love it. That's why we moved here. Um, we, we, I didn't move here for work. My husband didn't move here for work. We just, both of us have got connections to the area. And even though none of our family live here anymore, we just thought, you know what, where do we want to bring our children up? And the answer was Swansea. Oh, it, so we're very happy you... here. You know, uh, sorry, listeners, we'll just do a little bit of Swansea kind of, you know, <laughs> stuff. You get down well, the gower. Don't, don't, don't tell them the secret because it's fantastic, but yeah. not many people know it, do they? Which is why house prices are affordable, well, relatively Honest, speaking. Honestly, moving here from uh, Basingstoke, where I, I was before, North Hampshire, you know, definitely. Do you have a favourite beach out on the gower? Have you chosen oh, yet? We, we've got three cliffs, I think. I love free cliffs. But we don't get out there as much anymore because we've got a three-year-old and a one-year-old and the, the walk from the car park is a bit too far. <laughs> uh, you know, free cliffs is a long walk down there. I've got a two and a four-year-old myself. Um, yeah, the free cliffs does get a bit far there. Lovely castle up at the top. Guys, I promise not to talk about beaches too much. If you follow me over <laughs> summer on Twitter, it is nothing but beaches. Um, so back to the topic at hand, though. Slight, mm. uh, you know, slight uh, distraction there because I do love talking about the Gower beaches. I'm sorry. <laughs> sorry, listeners. Um what then are we looking for in a what is a what is a oh, it's, t- it's going to be a broad question i'm afraid um but I'll, I'll put it out there anyway um what makes a good school system that is an enormous question um so there's there's a, a very long answer which is the book there's a medium answer and there's a kind of very short answer or I'll do the very short answer and then expand if you'd like me to yeah let's um, do that because I, we've got time we've got time and I, <laughs> this, is the, this is the crux of it you know what what are the big pictures I guess what, what are the main so things? the the central if I have if I have to boil, kind of boil it down to one thing um and it, it is many things but but one thing that kind of sums it up is these systems they have genuinely high expectations for all students and they align all of their other policies nationally and at school level around supporting students to achieve those high expectations. So the expectations are clear. They know what it is that they want students to be able to achieve, albeit, obviously, if you have students with special needs, um, there, there might be different expectations for them. If, But that's the conversation to have with the psychologist and the parents. That's not just something which um, happens as a kind of, oh, well, these students just aren't going to achieve as much. There's, there's a until you've tried everything, there's an expectation that we'll, we'll bring everyone along with us. Um, and and I suppose essentially it's, it's differentiation throughout through support rather than through lowering expectations, putting children in lower sets, dumbing down curricula, giving them the kind of all oh, bless type approach to curriculum. 
Um, and in the book, one of the things you do mention, you, you kind of talk about is an access to professionals or uh, appropriate professionals um, mm. to, to make some of those decisions um, when we're talking about uh, things like special educational needs or barriers yes. as I, you yes. know, that, that might be getting in the way, particularly at an early age, uh, yes. you know, addressing those barriers uh, that personally I, I would say you know I, I you know I, unless I upset my head teacher I'm fairly safe but I would say mm. you know I on my experience is that there isn't as much access and I would be very familiar with what you described there as a teacher sometimes mm. you know we have to admit that we are not amazingly well trained we are very we're, we're professionals but we might be early in our career with uh, mm. not a lot of training behind us making some decisions about children's education that maybe in other countries are they seeking more um, experienced advice on that? Mm, mm. Yeah. So, so in in, in Finland and, and Estonia, for example, and then I pick those as two countries that not only perform highly in PISA but also have very equitable outcomes. Um, and I mean equitable in 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 all senses, but especially in an inclusive sense, in that that you have a, a a smaller proportion of children, some of the smallest in the world, of, of children not reaching kind of baseline levels of, of reading and mathematics. Um, and in, in those countries, they do have, to, all schools have access to professionals such as psychologists, um, social workers, actually healthcare workers as well, either being based in the school if the school's big enough or shared between a few schools um, in, in the case of small schools. And it's not, it's not, you know, it's not simply the case that at the first sign of a problem, you've got a trained psychologist there and there you've got to evidence as a teacher um that you've what you've tried already and that you know i tried this and i tried that and they're still struggling and what, what would you suggest but there is access there are people that you know that's the next step it's not a case of oh well they're not doing so well so let's just put them in the bottom set and hope they get along all right it there is concerted support and as you say that is early so so even though they don't start school until age six or seven um they have wide access, not not quite universal, but to um, to kindergarten, and the, the the professionals, the teachers, are watching out for children that might be kind of a bit behind developmentally or have particular problems that they can then address um, at that early stage before the, the gap widens and it gets more difficult for them to access the same curriculum as the rest of their peers. Um, and that kind of touches on another note for us, which is that that age of start, which is something that, you know, I remember being thrown up a lot at the time, you know, certainly at the, around the time that you were you were on your journeys, this idea mm. that we're, we're starting formal education too early. I can certainly reflect mm. that my own of my boys, um, my um, because of the situ the, the system here in Wales, I had, you know, one of them was going to lovely Montessori nursery. Uh, lovely but then at f about three years old because he's young for his age he was going to school in a school mm. uniform um you know as most people would recognize a school child in a in a mm. primary school as most people would recognize it at three now mm. whilst they are doing you know early years professionals will talk about them doing different things that would seem quite jarring compared to later starts in other countries yes um and there is this uh particularly in these other countries, there is a a marked distinction between early years provision and school. Um, and not a marked distinction in the sense of it goes from 
from being one type of provision to something very different and then that's difficult for the children it's it's kind of it's it's phased in but but the difference is that in the in the earliest provision so so kindergarten is compulsory in finland for for six-year-olds they're not starting school till age seven um what they're doing in the early is there is a curriculum um but it is a curriculum which is non-specific it kind of gives broad headlines um about you know the importance of children speaking and listening to poems and um being listened to um having i you know playing with number suggestions for lots of kind of games and things that will develop their concepts of number but they're developing i suppose what i would call like pre-reading skills and pre-numeracy skills that that sense of number or the the understanding that that words um written letters correspond to sounds and and sometimes reading as well you know if the children are ready for it but what doesn't happen in those early early years in these other countries is the very specific expectations that you have in the english national curriculum for example where they must have learned these letters or you know be able to add up or be able to spell um at quite young ages those specific expectations definitely come in and that's what i was saying about um before having clear expectations but that's the difference in these places between the early years and school school is when you have the specific expectations and they do everything that they can possibly do to make sure that students meet those expectations you know a huge amount of support very carefully thought through lesson planning and then they don't leave anyone well they they clearly do leave people behind and none of the little places in nirvana but they they do the, 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 there's very much an expectation that well we're not going to move on and um, with the you know onto the next topic or whatever it is until all of our all of our kids are there have kind of got there have got that concept or got that skill and they're able to do that what makes it easier for them to do that is that children have spent longer in in early years with that kind of really rich environment early years input rich language environments etc so most of them are kind of at the stage where they are ready if they haven't already learned to read in the early years they are very much ready to do so um and so it's a it's a fertile ground so to speak for for introducing um reading and and adding and and the more the kind of more specific uh, academic skills which means that children then are more likely to kind of pick it up quickly and progress rather than the system i think that we have in england where because we're starting so early and the the specific expectations start so early it's just not realistic that all children are actually going to manage that but then it you sets you up on on a, a kind of a whole the, um system in which well we don't actually expect all children to be able to meet these expectations so will to have different tables with kids with, you know call them different traffic light colors with different animals whatever you want then we'll put them in different sets and you know from the very beginning there are children who we don't really expect that they'll meet those expectations rather than waiting till everyone's actually ready to meet those expectations making those expectations manageable but being really really sure that we're going to make sure that that everyone meets them if it's possibly within our power to do so Yeah, I, you know, it always shocks uh, people when I talk to them about education and I'm brutal about this, you know, because it is a brutal fact of our education system um in, in Wales and in England, but certainly in England when I was there, that the the system accepts quite willingly and almost celebrates one in four children not making it. 75% mm. is seen as good national average guys we're doing okay tick 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 mm. you know if when you're looking at a class of children of 30 children that's a table of six who aren't going to make it um mm. and that's quite a jarring fact for some people yeah exactly um, i have a little uh, little anecdote if you don't mind that it that kind of oh, illustrates that point <laughs> quite nicely um when i was in china um i had two different conversations with two 
Chinese teachers, both of whom had been on exchange programs, one to England and one to America. So I obviously cornered them and asked them loads of questions about their experiences and the differences between the two. Um, and I asked both of them, this is two separate conversations, what if they'd seen anything that they didn't think was very good or where, you know, where we could learn or where America could learn from their practice. Um, and both of them were quite awkward about this because they didn't want to say anything remotely negative. Um, oh, and as an aside, they were constantly asking me questions about what they, they can learn from me and from England. They're like, they're so open to learning. It was awesome to see considering they were like top of the world at the time. Um, anyway, to these conversations, I said, what, what can we learn from you? And they said almost identical things, phrased a little differently, but it, which was this. The thing I found strange is that some children, this is in England or America, some children were, were given much easier work. How are they supposed to keep up with their peers if they're given much easier work? And I was a bit stumped by that because the answer to that is, oh, well, we don't expect them to keep up with their peers that's just not our expectation in England. We don't expect them to keep up to the extent that we will stick a different target grade on the front of her book based on their key stage two data. I mean, it's appalling when you think about it, how, how clear cut it is that we don't expect all children to meet the minimum standards. Um, at least that was how English schools were back when I was teaching. It may well be that they're completely different now. I, you know, my experience and, you know, as I say, which is maybe it's just slightly more, re only slightly more recent than yours is, um, is that that is, a, you know, an accepted fact that until you, people don't see how jarring that is, until you kind of state it in black and white, people don't see how jarring it is that that, that, though, that is the expectation and that there isn't necessarily, the system isn't necessarily designed to counteract that. You know, progress measures were helpful mm. in that. Some of the data accountability in that sense, uh, progress measures um, do do help in a sense to, to look at that. But when it's headline data of pass rates, it, it allows uh, children to, 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 to fail. Um, now, one yeah. of the other things I did want to ask you about was about um, – this always came up a lot, and I've heard it many times, and I have myself started and then given up a master's and, and such <laughs> like, but, you know – teachers should all be trained to a high level we should all have master's degrees because in any exa example country um th th they're trained better than we are you know is that the case is something that recognized is that something that we could learn from um i think more teacher training is a good thing if possible but i don't think that every master's degree is actually going to make teachers any better and if you just stipulate the teachers need to have a master's that's not necessarily going to make them a better teacher um and so if you if you look at the case of, of again, I keep coming back to Finland, but, you know, fin Finland is famously has, has highly educated teachers. And um, then for primary teaching, they do five years. So it's a, it's a master's degree, but it's not a master's degree as we might think of it in terms of like a master's in education um, in which it would be often quite theoretical, um, looking at educational theory, not always making it that link practically um, to the classroom. And, you know, and that no disrespect to education masters. I have one myself. I really enjoyed it. It's it's fascinating in its own right, but it doesn't necessarily make you a better teacher. Um, in, in Finland, those five years are spent actually, so primary teachers will actually study each of the different subjects that they're going to teach in the school curriculum and learn about and talk about and practice the, the pedagogical content knowledge, by which I mean the not not simply the content of the mathematics and then how do we teach in general in terms of like organizing the room, et cetera. But what 
what are the common misconceptions students have when they're adding fractions? You know, th- those kinds of things. So they'll actually go through the whole curriculum and really think about pedagogical content knowledge. And that makes them a better teacher. So I think if the additional time in teacher education is learning more about what other experienced teachers have, have found and what research has found in terms of pedagogical content knowledge, and then crucially also um, having t- having the time to apply that and and get feedback on it and reflect on it, then I think that is a really a really useful thing. Yeah, see, I fell for one of those headlines again, didn't I, where they just kind of flashed out, Finnish teachers have masters, you should have a masters. And it, mm-hmm. it, it's not quite as simple as that, unfortunately, is mm-hmm. it? No, no, it very much depends on the contents of that masters. Yeah. Um, now, we're just going to have a quick ad break. Now, when we come back, I do want to pick your brains a little bit, seeing as we're in Wales. And it, this is a testing ground and interesting for everyone because uh, currently in Wales, uh, for those of you, um, we are kind of 2014, 2013, 2012 in England, where we are rewriting the whole curriculum. It is all change. And when I say all change, I mean, down to the roots, down to the purpose of it all. So you're happy to have a bit of a chat about that when we come back Mm, after these ads. Fantastic. Right, we'll see you on the other side. Um, Don't forget to text in your messages, guys. If you're listening live in the studio or tweet us, join the conversation. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. Introducing Uplearn. Uplearn is an online curriculum learning resource for A-levels that improves student outcomes whilst reducing teacher workloads. Teachers use Uplearn to facilitate independent learning and consolidation of classroom material. Over 150 schools have seen grade improvements with Uplearn, including St Paul's Girls School, Michaela Community School and ARC Schools. Book a demo at uplearn.co.uk and quote TTR for 10% off. That's Uplearn, U-P-L-E-A-R-N dot co dot UK. Whatever learning looks like this year, bring lessons to life with Nearpod. An exciting new addition to the Renaissance family, Nearpod offers real-time insights into student understanding through interactive lessons and videos, gamification and activities, all in a single, easy-to-use platform. To help kickstart the new year, we're offering all primary and secondary schools in the UK and Ireland full free access to Nearpod for the whole spring term. So, no matter what 2022 brings, Nearpod makes switching between in-class and remote teaching simple. Visit www.renlearn.co.uk forward slash Nearpod and sign up for your free trial today. If you're listening to this, then we know we share one thing in common, a passion for the type of outstanding education that every child deserves. That's what makes us the leading provider of specialist education and care. We need people like you to help us achieve even more. With us, you'll be given all the resources and support you need, offered a clear path to career progression, and be rewarded with some of the best salaries and benefits the industry has to offer. We are with a Slack Group. If you'd like to find out more, we'd love to hear from you. Visit 
www.withaslackgroup.co.uk forward slash careers and be part of our future. Live from Swansea, this is The Twilight Show with Nathan Ginn on Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone, welcome to Swansea. Uh, you find me here on the Twilight Show joined by Lucy Crean, author of Cleverlands, uh, the secret uh, behind the success of the world's education superpowers. And we're talking about what makes an education system world-class. Um, yep. Yeah, uh, Lucy, how is your Welsh coming along? You say you're just, uh, just down here? Uh, picking, up, up any picking up bits and bobs. Yeah, yeah. I always feel no, like... I'm certainly not fluent. Uh, <laughs> me neither. I feel like Danny Dyer doing a, a kind of a Welsh mangle, unfortunately, when I do it. But I did train here, and so I am very passionate about the Welsh education system. And when I moved back to England, I maintained that passion about it. Um, certainly there are things I've always thought Wales was doing, um, I felt kind of better uh, from a um, kind of pastoral moral um, kind of point of view, even if mm. it wasn't doing as well uh, in things like the PISA rankings, it's always been a little bit below England. Mm. Um, but we are in a risky time, a dangerous time. Curriculum for Wales is here. Are you familiar much with what's going on with the Curriculum for Wales? Yes, I am. Yeah, I'm actually working on a programme um, a curriculum design program at the moment in Wales. Okay, so I mean, you know, I don't want to jeopardise anything here, so I, I will feel free to <laughs> talk about the, the the dangers I see with it because having been through things in England, having been through that, as I say, that that 2014 national curriculum change, I'm really worried about what's happening um, now. Generally, then from your point of view having you know looked at um education systems all over the world having worked on education systems here what are mm. the risks involved with something like this what could go wrong well nathan um just just even before we look internationally there's the obvious fact that we've just been through a pandemic um and schools have been dealing with s such and a huge amount of, of work related to that and a huge amount of stress. Um, combined with the fact that designing a new curriculum takes a huge amount of time. And I don't believe that, that schools in Wales have had that time, you know, in terms of additional time, not that I know where that would come from, but to to actually spend the time that they need designing curriculum. So, so it's hard anyway. Um, that's obviously not to say that, that one should never change curriculum. I would personally like to see a curriculum for Wales delayed by a year, given the pandemic, to give schools a bit more time to prepare, because um, it is supposed to be coming in for primaries in this September now, mm. um, and for secondaries for both year seven and year eight the following year. So, so that's that's the kind of most obvious, most immediate challenges. I was I was concerned about some of the risks involved. Um, actually before the pandemic, um, on account of, of global trends in education. So so what the um, Curriculum for Wales is is doing, the, the nature of the curriculum is part of a, a, a 
line of different, um, essentially part of a curriculum trend internationally, very much um, supported and pushed by the OECD over the past decade or so, um, which has been called the New Curricular Turn by Biester and Priestley. And it's basically characterized by being very high level, um, giving high level purposes, leaving of the vast majority of the selection of, of content in the curriculum up to individual schools. Um, and we've seen this happen in, in Sweden, in New Zealand, and then most, most closely related up to Wales is in Scotland with the Curriculum for Excellence, because of course, the Curriculum for Excellence was designed based on um, a paper by Professor Graham Donaldson, as was um, Curriculum for Wales. So, so lots of similarities there. Um, and there are definitely positives um, within this type of curriculum. The, the ownership that schools have of the curriculum, the ability to make it relevant to their learners, um, to, to really um, engage with the curriculum, I suppose, as opposed to having it handed down from on high and just, just having to teach something that you don't really have, you haven't engaged with or you don't believe in. Um, the, the challenges are two big ones. <laughs> um, and they are a potential lack of coherence and relatedly a, a potential lack of equity. Um, and that is what we have seen in other countries that have done this um, so far, along with, I mean, and you can't, you, you can never show that anything causes anything when it comes to education policy because we can't do controlled experiments at the level of education systems. But um, but certainly New Zealand and Sweden, since introducing these new curricula, their PISA schools have plummeted. Um, and there's been various research in these systems to show what the problems associated are. So, for example, um, in New Zealand, there's a paper by Smith and colleagues who've, who've looked at different schools in different areas um, in terms of socioeconomic background and found that obviously due to content selection being down to the schools, the, the students from, from lower socioeconomic backgrounds are being exposed to much less challenging content. There's just lower expectations of them, lower standards, but that's all okay because it's entirely up to the school what they expose them to in terms of that opportunity to learn. Um, and, and that precludes them from university, for example, if you're not, if you're not kind of getting the exposure in this case to, to the kind of texts, high level texts that you, you need to, to access, to learn, learn from, um, you're going to have trouble then, um, meeting literacy standards needed to get into university. So that's just one, just one example. And, um, and that one is one that, you know, I particularly feel, and I know we've already mentioned that, you know, I, I work in Swansea and I, you know, I didn't grow up here, but I grew up in a town very similar to it in, you know, I grew up in, uh, not so much, but in Cambridge where, which you have one of the biggest divides between rich and poor. And in Swansea, you see that as well. And I work deliberately over in East Swansea, and I work in an alternative provision. Mm. So I work in one of the 20 most deprived areas in Wales. And it is very different if a school there was to design something that, you know, and I'm doing inverted commas mm. here, met the needs of their children compared to a school out you know, maybe somewhere in West Swansea where it is a bit leafier, where it is a bit wealthier, and they were looking to the needs there. So is is that the kind of thing you're de de describing, where the teachers within a school where in the area I work in might be looking at the children going, well, what they need is just, you know, a bit of work experience, some technical qualifications, and, and that's really yeah. what they're about. Exactly. Is that the worry? Yeah, 
Exactly. Um, and in this specific instance, this in, in New Zealand, so, I, you know, I talk, try where I can to talk about specifics rather than my my fears, although they're, they're related, mm. but the, it was uh, the the children from Maori and Pacifica backgrounds who, who are more deprived communities, usually within New Zealand, were only being taught like young adult fiction. Nothing, you know, no kind of adult literature. Um, so, and, and, I, and I fear... That, that you know, there's a very fine line, isn't there, between personalization and lowering expectations? Certainly so, you know, and, and and that was one of the things that I felt in England, at least the national curriculum, that was very prescriptive compared to what I see in Wales. Um, at, at least it gave a kind of everyone was doing the same thing at the same stages as they went through. And I guess that's the other mm-hmm. side of the coin, is it? Yeah. So the coherence is the other is the other piece, which is is really important um and is very much left up to chance by the curriculum of Wales at the moment um which is an upcog coherence obviously means a whole number of different things so let me be a bit more specific um but it seems obvious to me and I'm sure it'll be obvious to to all of the listeners as well but that in order for children to make progress throughout their education um they need to build on their knowledge there's certain prior knowledge that they need in order to access new concepts similarly with you know specific skills within um expressive arts for example like you've got to be able to do one thing before you're able to develop that skill further um and it's particularly an issue with primary to secondary transition but it can happen within schools as well if you're leaving content selection up to individual schools um then you can't guarantee that actually the children have previously learned what they need to learn to access a new content. So you have a situation where in year seven, you've got children coming in from a whole lot of different schools, some of whom have have un- understood certain things, some of whom haven't even ever touched on a particular concept or a particular skill. And so your choices as a year seven teacher then are either to start from scratch, which is a huge wasted opportunity. You think that they spent all of those years in primary education and and yen, then the teachers having to start from the beginning, and there will be a whole lot of children who have done that. Um, you know, they have got that understanding or those skills that then just get bored. Or you have you have the choice as a teacher to assume that children have certain knowledge. And I'm not talking about yes, you could do you can do a kind of pre-test, but by talking about kind of like fundamental giant bodies of knowledge about you know have they got understandings of ancient civilizations? Have they um, mastered certain forms of grammar? Whatever it is. Um, you're having to just assume knowledge or assume knowledge of certain words that obviously, you know, students would have been exposed to this word and actually they haven't. Um, and so you've got big gaps and and then it's, again, it's an equity issue because the children who, who manage to kind of get around that are the children who, A, went to the schools with, you know, more, with higher expectations of them <laughs> in the first instance, but, but B, they've got the, the kind of family background where their parents can help them fill in those gaps um, and the children who don't have that family background, who who aren't, you know, their parents for whatever reason aren't able to help them fill in those gaps, are the ones who are then more lost as a result of a lack of coherence between um, from year to year within a curriculum. And transition is the biggest risk, but it can happen within a school as well. If you've got a school that is planning everything um, where where the the main focus of the planning is around topics, and everyone in term first term is first half term is doing. A topic around X, and the teachers can choose to teach whatever they want around that. 
and they haven't thought about, okay, well, how would their understanding of this topic building year to year to year, um, then you're going to end up with the same thing. Um, and you see that, you know, I've been to, I spent a week in schools in Sweden and, and speaking to teachers there and you, you see it in lessons, you talk to teachers and then they, they tell you, oh, I don't know what they did in year seven. This is a year nine teacher talking about English. I don't know what they did in year seven. So I'm just guessing. Wow. Um, and I know that's extreme. It sounds, sounds like, it sounds like mm. an extreme situation, but this happened in Sweden. This has happened in New Zealand. Um, I'm not saying it will happen in Wales. I'm just talking about the risks. Yeah. These are the risks. And it's really important as a country that we do everything we can to mitigate those risks. And uh, Nikki is texting as well, just saying uh, it's difficult for students who move schools mid, uh, mid midway as well, you know, if they're, yeah. if they're moving at not a tra- traditional transition point. Now, you know, I am conscious that, you know, I, I am very passionate about Wales. One of the things I will say that they have always done, in my opinion, is uh, supported teacher development. I have friends in England who are shocked when I say that I have Welsh teacher colleagues who have been um on a sabbatical for a year just to learn welsh paid sabbatical for a year just to learn welsh those things Mm. they do really well so there must be some benefits to this curriculum change that as we look forward some positives if we can capitalize on them absolutely Um, and i think that it's really closely related to be honest to to the risks it's two sides of the same coin the fact that that so much is left up to schools means schools are going to have to lean into the professional development and, and and every teacher um, or at the very least, you know, senior staff within every school are going to have to really think hard about curriculum and about that progression and about, right, you know, we need children to develop in, in within the domain of grammar. What's the first things that they need to understand? What then, how does that build? You know, really engage in some like re- really kind of meaty curriculum thinking, which is fantastic you know, in terms of staff development, professional development, and ultimately education because if the teachers understand where the children have been and where they're going, um, because they've had a part in designing that as part of a cluster, for example, then I think that can only be a good thing, um, so long as it happens. Um, and that's that's the big question. Um, now, you know, we are running quickly towards the end of the show. It's been amazing talking. I can't believe how quickly it's gone as well. But mm. this is such a big topic we've been trying to trying to cram in. Um, you know, I will have to have you back at some point to talk about this as <laughs> things develop, particularly as the rollout um, of Curriculum for Wales goes. Um, now, um, any, uh, I guess, hopes and dreams? For me, if I was to say one thing to people who are cra- planning their Curriculum for Wales at the moment, having done similar things over in England, I would say a link to your time thing is it takes a lot longer than you think it will to make a cohesive and a well-planned and a well-thought-out map alone, let alone before getting your teachers to understand it. So I would be saying time, 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 think about time. Is there anything that you are would be screaming from the rooftops at teachers who are trying to look at a, a big change like this? Just to make sure that they focus on the knowledge part of the knowledge, skills, and experiences, as well as the the broader themes and activities. And um, there's so much really important scope within the curriculum for Wales for doing some kind of really fantastic localized projects and 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 all sorts of like really important themes that are in there. But you've got to identify within that what actually is it that we want children to know. How does that relate to what? they understood last year and and what are we going to do in the future that's going to build on on this this knowledge oh 
what a don't forget that part <laughs> lovely way to end on I, I echo those points entirely um, and thank you so much uh, for joining uh, me tonight uh, Lucy um, I was saying Nostar as we do here in Wales Nostar Nostar, good night and good night to our listeners. Remember, you can listen back on ttradio.org, listen back or any of uh, your podcast type apps. Um, good night, everyone, and we'll see you again soon. Ta da. Good night. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.